Please turn to the book of Jude, right near the end of your Bible, right before Revelation, the book of Jude. Let's look there this morning. Young people, you are dismissed to your junior church hour. Let's look at the book of Jude. You can open with a couple of announcements. I don't normally like to give announcements during the service, but I want to encourage you if I can, and I think some announcements might edify you today because it encourages you that that we're moving forward, and that's an exciting thing. So uh, before, I, before I do that, I appreciate that song. I don't know if I'd heard that song before, God Sees the Rainbow, or God Already Sees the Rainbow, and, and a great song. I've seen it in the schedule, and I looked at it this morning, and I noticed that it was written. The author just passed away about three weeks ago, Diane Wilkinson. And I got thinking while the ladies were singing that song, you know, um, young people, uh, we don't have a lot of young people that say, you know, when I grow up, I want, I want to contribute to the music of the church, and I want to write songs and hymns and things like that, and boy, we need that. And a lot of the great hymn writers, and some, some of the songs we sang this morning are already in heaven. And uh, you say, well, I, I'd have to learn piano. Well, that's a good start. It wouldn't, wouldn't hurt you to learn a piano, learn an instrument that would help you in songwriting for sure. Uh, now, that's not... 100% necessary. Fanny Crosby never played an instrument, and yet she wrote thousands of hymns. Uh, one of our modern-day songwriters, Rodney Griffin, has written hundreds and hundreds of songs, and he doesn't play a piano. But it sure would help you, and I would just encourage our young people, get involved in the music ministry of the church and uh, contribute to uh, use those gifts and talents. Some of, uh, some of our kids... They come up here, and, and we had, after vacation Bible school, we had all those kids up here, you remember, singing Sunday morning, and I stood over here and, and helped sing that song, and I thought, boy, there's some good voices up here. There's some kids that know how to sing, and uh, that's, that's a start, just being able to hear the tune and follow it, and some people can't do that. And uh, I've sat up here with Pastor Paul. Some people can't do that. And uh, so it's just, it's just a matter of using your gifts for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Somebody, my wife's happy about that. We ought to use our gifts and talents for the Lord. And I would encourage you, we need more of that, more music in the church, people investing time in developing those gifts and talents. Well, let me give you a couple of announcements. You've probably seen some of the restrictions are coming off here very shortly. And so we believe on <clears throat> February 20th, there's, uh, February 21st, some things are changing. So we're praying right now, Sunday school back in on February 27th, all right? That'll be the first Sunday following uh, those things being lifted. Uh, our problem is not necessarily gathering, it's our classes are too small to have the desired uh, <clears throat> percentages that they want and be able to fit everybody in. And we don't want to uh, cause anybody to be at risk. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you that this virus is real. And uh, we don't like all the restrictions, but it knocked me off my feet for a little bit. And uh, still, I appreciate your prayers. And energy is still an issue. And so February 27th, we're hoping to be back in Sunday school. Buses running that day as well. Choir practice can start again because we can gather and meet and all those things. And so we're looking forward to that. Having said that, March the 26th, men, mark your calendars. March the 26th, you might notice in the bulletin this morning, Man Up Conference right here at Bethel Baptist Church. Other years, we've gone down to St. Thomas, uh, but this year, because they can't rent a building uh, big enough for what they need, we're going to do it right here at Bethel, all right? And so we're looking forward to that Man Up Conference, and I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to tell you that uh, Brother Calvin Allen is coming. 
And so he hasn't been here in a few years because of everything going on, but he's able to come. The quartet can't all come, but he can come by himself. And so he'll be uh, at the Man Up Conference. He'll preach and he'll sing. And then on Sunday, the 27th, he's going to preach and sing for us all day. All right? And we're also planning some meetings on the 28th and the 29th, a short revival meeting. And so uh, men especially, you're going to have a great weekend. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, there'll be services. Ladies, you join us Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And uh, we're going to have a great time, some revival services at Bethel. How many of you missed some of those special meetings where we get music in and all the rest? Man, I missed it. We've had seven different musical groups cancel on us in the last two years, and already I've got the one for July looking like they're going to cancel as well. And uh, the Morrison Sisters, if you've not heard the Morrison Sisters, go on YouTube or something and listen to them. Phenomenal family harmonies, great, great music. You'd really enjoy it. Uh, they're supposed to come this July, so pray that things can open up a little bit more so that they're able to come up. Uh, I believe they're from Georgia, and uh, just a great family group, and uh, we've, we've heard them. <clears throat> I'd already booked them, and then I heard them actually down at the summit last year, and they were phenomenal. So you want to be uh, praying about that, that they can come. And uh, we've also, this fall, is the 90th anniversary of Bethel Baptist Church in November. 90 years. Can you imagine? And uh, some of you might remember the beginning. I don't know, but that's a long way back. And so we're going to have uh, Brother Harry Strachan come, our pastor, my pastor's son, uh, who is here. He, he, uh, he says, I can't believe it. He says, I put together a scrapbook for the 40th anniversary. So it's been a while. And so uh, 90 years, so Brother Harry Strachan's going to come. And then you might remember, some of you have been around long enough to remember the Vasek family. And so the Vasek kids are all grown up and married. And so Joey Vasek and his wife are coming to provide special music. And Joey and his wife sing beautifully together. Joey has now written a lot of songs and things like that and ministers in his church there in, in New York. And so uh, we're looking forward to having Joey and, and is it Rebecca? Joe and Rebecca Vasek, and they'll be here with us in November. And so looking forward to some things opening up and some music coming in and guests and things. And so praise the Lord for it. You continue to pray. And uh, so we're looking forward to a great year and just trusting the Lord for it. Look, if you will, this morning in the book of Jude, in the book of Jude, a prescription for godly living, a prescription for godly living. <coughs> The book of Jude. I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's just 25 verses. But if I were to outline the book of Jude, I'm going to give you just a basic outline as I read, all right? And we'll notice the first 13 verses, okay? The first 13 verses, I would entitle this, A Problem for the Saved. Now, I'm, you might not be like me. If you're a saved person here today, you may not have any problems. But I'm here to tell you that just because we're saved doesn't mean we're not without struggles, that there's problems that creep in. But the Bible here is talking more about a corporate problem for the church. It talks about evil men who creep in unawares. So let's read about that. Verse 1 this morning, Jude, uh, verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. I think a lot of churches would do well to go to Jude verse 3 and make that as the theme of their congregation, earnestly contend for the faith. 
There's a lot of faith groups out there today, a lot of assemblies or congregations that have made contending for everything else the object of their desire and the subject of their ministry. Where the Bible says we need to earnestly contend for the faith. And here's why, because the Bible says, for there are certain men, verse 4, crept in unawares. And here's the problem, when we're contending for everything else, the evil men creep in unawares. So Paul says, make it the subject of your mind, make it the, the, the preeminent thing in your life to contend for the faith, making sure that you understand what the common salvation is, understand that, that we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, make sure that we are in the faith. And so if we will do that, if we'll focus on those things and contending for the faith, you say, what is the faith? It's the word of God. From beginning to end, we believe what is written in that book by faith. And so we will contend for what God says we should contend for. And so he says, earnestly contend for the faith because there are certain men crept in unawares who are before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And that's when we say, well, we, we just live by grace and we, we, we can do whatever we want because God will forgive us. That's lasciviousness. We are in the age of grace. We are not under law, so we don't have to follow any standards or adjust our behavior in any way. We don't have to live a certain life. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The Bible says be holy as Christ is holy. There is an adjustment to our lives. Uh, the Bible says that, uh, that, that in Titus chapter 2 that, uh, that grace teaches us to deny God ungodliness. We are to live right. And so we misconstrue these verses. Romans chapter 6 tells us, Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That is not God's will. So these evil men creep in unawares. And he says, They have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, How does it ever get that far? I've been in a lot of churches where it's already there where they deny the authority of the Lord in our lives. Well, I like to come to church and learn principles, and I like to learn how to live a good life and how to be charitable and kind and loving, and I want to be exhorted in the good things of the Bible, but don't preach on my sin. Don't press those buttons that, that will trigger me because the Lord Jesus Christ really doesn't have that kind of authority in my life. Boy, friends, we're in sad shape when we can't submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he, he judges us, but he judges us in love. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Don't miss out on the chastening hand of the Lord. It's what it brings us into line. It teaches us that we are sons and not bastards. We are not illegitimate. That we are part of the family of God when we are chastened. If you're out there running around today doing whatever you want and you're never rebuked by the Lord and never chastened, there's a pretty good sign that you're not actually a child of God. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Read on. I might not even get through the passage. I will therefore, verse 5, put you in remembrance, though you once, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. 
And the angels who kept not their first estate but their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. He's giving us four verses there as examples to say God does judge sin. These evil men that have crept in under wares and turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and allowed us to think that we can do whatever we want without the authority of Christ, let me remind you of something. God does judge sin. And he gives us these examples. Look at verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Notice the authority of God. Even the angel, Michael the archangel, would not rebuke the devil, but he says, the Lord will rebuke thee. It's God that has the authority, and we speak in his name. Verse 10, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves, woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are those he's speaking of in verse 11 who have made merchandise out of religion. You'll remember Balaam was for hire. Uh, Korah was for hire. They went after reward and they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. This is speaking of the time where he tried to hire a prophet to speak on his behalf. There are many today that make merchandise out of people and are gaining and making great riches out of religion. Verse 11 or verse 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, but they have no power. Listen, clouds they are without water, carrying about a wind's trees whose fruit withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. I want you to notice, as I've read the first 13 verses, we see a problem for the saved. Evil men that would creep in and twist the doctrines of God and make the church look like something it never was intended to be. Christ is no longer the center. He has no authority because they do not recognize his authority. They are living by lasciviousness and not by grace. But notice verses 14 through 19, we see a prophecy for the sensual. A prophecy for the sensual. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Listen, God is coming and he will judge this earth and for all their ungodly acts. Verse 16, these are murmurers complaining. Wait a minute. Isn't he talking about murderers? And rapists, thieves, those that are in the deepest, darkest prisons? No. He's talking about murmurers, complainers. Read on. Walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They can deceive men, in other words, but not God. But beloved... 
Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, listen, sensual, having not the spirit. Sensual is one that follows after his own senses. What feels good? What is right in my own eyes? Spiritual is that what follows after the spirit of God. What is pleasing to him? He says, there's coming a day where God will judge the earth because the church will be full of people who are mockers, murmurs, complaining, walking after their own lusts, following their flesh. They are sensual and they have not the spirit. Let me remind you today that when we behave sensually, we are acting just like the world. When we follow after the flesh and we obey our own lusts rather than obeying the spirit of God. But notice the last part of scriptures, verse 20 through 25. We've read this morning a problem for the saved and a prophecy for the sensual. I want to give you this, a prescription for the spiritual. A prescription for the spiritual. I believe with all my heart, those first 19 verses that we've read, we are living right in the midst of that. You say, how do you know that? Because I believe we've been living in the midst of that for 2,000 years. I believe that. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, this is the prophecy of the prophet Joel who said that in the last days, this would happen. And he says, it's happened. We are in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. In other words, this is the last season before Christ comes again. This is the age of grace, the church age. And for 2,000 years, we've seen this same battle. As a matter of fact, if anything, we live in more freedom today than a lot of believers before us have lived. There's been the dark ages. There's been Christians burned at the stake and crucified upon crosses and, and boiled in oil and martyred for their faith in Christ. And we are so thankful. We praise God today for the freedom we do have in Canada to worship freely. But we are still nonetheless living in the midst of this. Let me say this. I asked Brother Jim Arnold one time. I'd gone to Africa with him. And we were out for a walk on a Sunday, the drums were beating so loud we couldn't sleep. And there was some sort of uh, ceremony, religious ceremony going on for voodoo. West Africa is the birthplace of voodoo and it made its way into Haiti with the slaves. And so we, we got up and we said, let's, let's go for a walk. We can't sleep anyway. And we, we're trying to nap. You understand when it's 105 degrees, you take a nap after you preach. We were drenched and soaked, and we were just trying to cool down, so we laid down for a little bit, couldn't sleep, so we got up, and we said, let's go for a walk, and we'll try to just regroup for Sunday evening. We're out walking while the way it was echoing through the buildings, we actually got closer to it rather than further away. We couldn't even tell. We came around a bend, and it was deafening. And we realized that this thing was going on just over the fence. And so we climbed up on a hill and I looked in. I wanted to see what was going on. And they were dancing around in their garb and they were killing chickens and worshiping with these, sacrificing these chickens and all the rest. And I said to Jim, I said, you must have seen this a lot here. He was born in the Ivory Coast. Grew up his whole life in Africa. He said this, Al, he says, I see it more in the United States of America than I ever see it over here. I said, you're kidding me. He says, no, because in, in the, here, he says, it's just out in the open. He says, people just do whatever they want. And he says, they worship the, the God of the earth. They call it voodoo. And he says, they, they have paganism and idols sitting up everywhere. And they just worship that. 
He says in the States, he says, that's where he's from. He says it's so subtle, but it's in every place I go. I see it over and over again. We are living in that day where evil men have crept in unawares and they have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and saying we have no authority in Christ. We don't need to listen to Christ. We will walk after our own lusts. And the Bible says they are sensual having not the spirit. But now you say, how do we live then? Here's the prescription for the saved, verse 20. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have a compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh, know unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. May the Spirit of God help us not to fall into this trap. Lord, may we be careful to stand for truth and earnestly contend for the faith. Father, I just announced that this year we will celebrate 90 years as a church. 95 years preaching the gospel in Simcoe. I I pray, Lord, that if we're to see another 90 years, Lord, we must be sure that we are contending for what's right, standing upon the faith of the word of God. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us now. May the Spirit of God teach us. I need your help. I need your strength. Fill me, I pray, and may the Spirit of God help each one of us. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe with all my heart the book of Jude was written as a warning to the church that would help them understand the conditions of their day, but more importantly, to teach them how do we stand. What is it that we can do to make sure that we are not falling into this trap and drifting away from the authority of Christ and not slipping into lasciviousness? Notice what he says. He says, Beloved, Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I want you to notice, first of all, I believe the Bible is telling us we need to take an inward look. I don't think this is a one-time thing. I believe that we should continuously be looking into ourselves and saying, am I walking right? Am I living right? Am I praying like I ought to pray? Am I growing in my faith? In 1 Peter chapter 3 was our theme just a few years ago. The theme was add to your faith. And you'll remember that passage in 1 Peter, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge. And the idea is that we're to always be growing. We should always be contributing to our spiritual life But I want to say this this morning, it is your responsibility. Notice what he says, he says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, you need to take responsibility, you need to grow. It's important that we understand that we have Sunday school classes and we have connection groups for fellowship and we have um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night services, we have prayer meetings besides that, we have ladies meetings and men's meetings, we have discipleship programs, we have all these different things that are to contribute to your growth, but you have to submit to it. You have to decide, I want to grow. 
I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to grow. I'm going to do something about it. So notice what he says as we take this inward look. We have to understand that this relationship with God is a two-way street. He is giving and giving and giving and feeding us. And he's given us his word of God. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. And he ministers to us. But he says, I need something from you. I need you to pray. And I need you to grow. And I need you to read your Bibles and build up your faith. And so notice, first of all, we must progress. We must determine in our lives, I'm going to grow. Let me ask you this. How many of you today, in January, maybe it's already done with and over with and broken. How many of you made a New Year's resolution? Just show your hands. Anybody? Oh, a few did. Okay. A few did. Good. How many of you have broken those resolutions? How many of you didn't raise your hands because you're ashamed to say, I made one, but then I broke it? That's, that's normally the case, isn't it? Right? If you could make this one resolution, this one commitment, build up yourselves in your holy faith. Don't end 2022 the same as you started it spiritually. Grow. Grow. They say, well, that that sounds easy, Pastor, but it's not that easy. How do I do that? How do you grow other ways? You have to feed yourself. That's how you grow physically. I'm an authority on that, let me tell you. You you can grow. You can be very careful. If you're not careful, you can grow unintentionally. Because we like to feed ourselves. We like to eat. Baptists, man, we love our dinners. We love to feast. And if we are going to grow spiritually, we have to feed. We have to get into the word of God. We have to spend time with God. Listen, I'm a firm believer that when we pray, we are also feeding because we are communing with God. We are like Mary who is sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ when we go to him in prayer and we boldly enter into the throne room of grace and we fall on our face before him. We are being ministered to because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that at that time the spirit is searching our hearts. For we know not how we ought to pray, but he prays on our behalf with words that cannot be uttered. So we must take an inward look and we must progress. And then we must pray. The Bible says they're also praying in the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 5 reminds us to pray without ceasing. It's just such a simple thought today. We need to feast and we need to pray. We need to progress. We need to grow, but we need to pray. Are you a prayer warrior? To draw closer to God, we must be in constant communication with him. I'm going to have to move very quickly to get through everything, but look at verse 21. Here's the third thing we must do. We must protect. Keep yourselves. The word keep there means to guard jealously. To protect. To protect that relationship. I've told you this before. I have seen where People will preach or people will mention the verse that God is a jealous God. And they say, what kind of God is your God if he gets jealous? Is he not big enough that he doesn't? Listen, that's just ignorance. There are two different definitions for the word jealous. Jealous can be like envy. Jealous and envy are two different things, but they're similar. Jealous means I don't like that Kevin has that Tesla out in the driveway. Envy means uh, I don't like that he has that Tesla out in the driveway, so I'm going to smash it up so he can't have it either. If I can't have it, he can't have it. It's, it's acting out our jealousy. 
And so jealousy can be jealous of somebody in the sense I don't have their talent, I don't have their possessions, I don't have those things, and I don't like that I don't have those things. And so I'm going to go into debt and I'm going to go get those things. And it causes all kinds of sin problems when we're jealous. But the other definition of the word jealous means to guard something. I am jealous over my wife. I'm not jealous if I see my wife talking to somebody. But I guard that relationship jealously. And when God is a jealous God, he's saying, I am guarding that relationship carefully and I'm protecting it. And so we worship him because he is a jealous God. Why? Because he's the only one worthy of that. You start worshiping somebody else, you're saying, hey, you don't love me like you ought to. Our relationship isn't right because he's a jealous God. And he's trying to guard it and protect it. And by the way, you ought to be jealous in your relationship with God too. That is something that is special and intimate between you and him. And you ought to guard it. So he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. We are to protect it. Notice next, we must be penitent. We must be penitent. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ Unto eternal life. How do we look for the mercy? God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We find mercy every time we turn to Christ. So, oh, but I got so much sin. He's got way more mercy. I, I've got, you don't know what I've done. No, but I know how much grace he has. So we seek for mercy, we must be penitent. We can't be bold in our sin. That's what the lascivious crowd was doing. Oh, God, God's okay with it. God doesn't judge. God does judge. God does judge. And he chastens. And he disciplines. You say, oh, God, God doesn't judge me. Why? Listen, if God didn't judge, there'd never be a place called hell. But there is. There wouldn't be a thing called the Lamb's Book of Life. And whosoever is not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life shall be cast into the lake of fire. There'd never be a lake of fire if God didn't judge. That's turning grace into lasciviousness. But he says, no, no, we must be penitent. We must look for God's mercy. It is by his mercies that we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. So we are to take an inward look, then we're to take an outward look. Look what it says in verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. In just five minutes, in just five minutes, I've told you how to get your life right. I, I wish I had two hours to preach on just that, just those two verses. We're to make sure our relationship with God is right. Keep praying. Keep being penitent. Keep humbling yourself before God. Keep seeking him. But then the Bible says there's more to it than that. Understand this. I think a lot of believers, I think that's where we get sometimes. We're like, Lord, I, I just love going to church and I love praying. I love my Bible. What impact are you having in the world then? What is the next step? Look what he says next. And of some have compassion, making a difference. I looked up the understanding, tried to understand what this verse was saying. He said, well, it's pretty straightforward. 
It is, but I want to know who he was talking about. Who are the some? And I've come to this conclusion, and, and I'm going to be very honest with you, I could be wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong in the very broad sense of the term. When he says, of some have compassion, I think he's talking about other believers. Because the next verse, he's talking about the lost. Of some have compassion. We're, we're to show compassion one to another. We are to love one another. We're to have a compassion, number one, for leaning saints. Notice, first of all, the principle. This verse ought to be one of the hallmarks of Christianity. The Bible says this, as you have received mercy, show mercy. We're to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even, listen, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If you've been forgiven, and do you know why you've been forgiven? For Christ's sake. If I'm understanding Ephesians 4.32 correctly, it seems like this. God is holy and righteous and just and sitting upon his throne. And he looked down upon sinful man and said, I must cast them in the like of fire because my holiness and my righteousness will not allow me to look upon their sin. But because of Christ, he was able to forgive us. It's only for Christ's sake that we are forgiven. Only because of the blood that was shed. We can walk around all pious and say, well, I just don't believe that. That believer got what he had coming to him. That's what he deserves. If you're going to act like that, that's what's going to happen. Hey, why don't you let God do the chastening and you show some compassion? Of some having compassion, why? Because look what it says next. Making what? A difference. You might change somebody's life. By showing them a little love, a little compassion. Does that mean that we tolerate their sin? No. There is such a thing, and the world doesn't understand this, and they won't even believe it. You can love the sinner and hate the sin. God does it every day. And we are called to do the same. Show compassion. How do we show compassion? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest ye also be tempted. That ought to be our default. Let's, let's try to bring them around. Let's try to restore them. Let's try to encourage them. Several years ago, somebody invited somebody to church. I'm not going to use names. They invited them here to Bethel Baptist Church. They had come years earlier and they had kind of fallen away. And So somebody said, I'm going to call, I'm going to invite them to come and I'll tell them, we'll, we'll go for lunch. We'll just, we'll have them or lunch at their house or whatever. I can't remember. We're just going to have a good time. And somebody else got angry about it. They said, you're just trying to pad the numbers of your Sunday school class. You're just trying to increase the attendance of the church. When I heard about it, I thought, oh, the person that invited you to church is a far better friend to you than the one that's mocking and criticizing and sending you on a path to hell. 
We ought to have compassion and reach out to those people. Try to invite them back. I've had people call and said, oh, hi, um, you might remember me. I came to church there 30 years ago. Is it okay if I come to church? Is it okay? Sure, it's okay. Come. I remember a story of a preacher. On Christmas Eve, they were having Lord's Table. And this was in England in the late 1800s. And that night, it got a bad snowstorm. And so they ended up only having about, I think it was 13 people came to church. That was it. The ones that lived close by, the rest couldn't get the horse and buggy out, I guess. And they just, 13 people showed up. And so the pastor says, well, let's, let's have the Lord's table. I'll share some scripture and we'll go home. And so they did. And they spent about an hour together praising God and having a good time. And after they were done singing and the pastor preached for a few minutes and shared of course, Christ coming and eventually dying on a cross. He said, I don't have any deacons here tonight, so I'm going to pass out the elements. And he went with the, the bread and the cup. And he came to a little old lady weeping. And she went like this. She didn't want it. And he leaned in and he said this, go ahead and take it. It's for sinners. That's what Christ did. Gave his life for sinners. You're no better than anybody else. So when others have compassion, can I promise you something? Because one day you're going to need it. One day you're going to need it. Of some have compassion, making a difference. Compassion for the leaning. But I want you to notice, secondly, I'm going to move on here. I've got a lot. We need to have concern for the lost. Once you have your life in order, and I, boy, we didn't spend a lot of time on that. It's just two verses there. We are to have compassion for the leaning saints and concern for lost sinners, verse 23, and others. That's why I think the sum in verse 22 is saved people, because now we're talking about others. And others save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Have you ever wondered what that phrase meant, garment spotted by the flesh? I've always wondered. I thought it had something to do with getting too close to the fire and getting burnt and, you know. Here, here's, it's very simple, I found out. How, how many of you got out of your car today and got slush on your pants or on your skirts or whatever? Anybody? That, yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about, Right? And so you get out and you're, you're kind of climbing out of the car because you got your nice clothes on and you're trying not to get slushed. My wife, I was cleaning off the, the car and I, my wife says, you've got snow all over your backside. And so I guess I'd brushed up against the other car cleaning off the one. So I'm covered in the back. Oh, great. Here I am in my dress clothes and I'm, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I hated it. I hated even my garments spotted by the slush. That's what this verse means. Be careful when you're pulling somebody with fear out of the fire. You don't want to get your garments spotted by the flesh, by carnality, by sin. That's what Galatians 6 is saying as well. Consider thyself lest you also be tempted. Make sure that when you go into this battle that you're prayed up, that you're filled with the Spirit of God. Listen, you'll never win a soul to Christ unless you're Spirit-filled anyway. 
So be prepared. But I believe there's a twofold admonition here. Not only am I to be careful that I don't get spotted by the flesh, I don't want them to be spotted by the flesh. That's why we, we tell our young people, hey, stay away from the rock and roll. Stay away from that wicked worldly stuff. Be careful what you're looking at. Because we don't want your garment even. We don't even want to get a little bit on your clothes. We don't want it spotted by the flesh and carnality of this world. We're trying to save you with fear and pull you out of the fire. So have compassion and and reach out for the lost. I watched on the news about three weeks ago. Maybe you saw it. There was a car in London that went out of control. And it was, we just had one of those nights where we got some rain and then it iced up. And this car was sliding and he kind of came through an intersection a little bit and there was a lady pushing a stroller. And out of nowhere, and it was a security camera, a traffic camera that caught it. It was at a red light and there was a walk, a crosswalk and, and this lady was going because the hand was there and this car was slowing down but it just didn't stop and it just kept moving. And it wasn't going real fast but a three-ton vehicle can still crush a woman and a child. And it was just moving, and out of nowhere came this man, and he grabbed that stroller in one hand like this, and he grabbed that woman like this, and he just threw them onto the grass. Nobody complained. Nobody complained and said, well, he was a little rough with her. Do you see how angry he violently snatched that woman? Nobody complained. They lauded him as a hero. Do you know what this word pulling them with fear means? The word pulling is harpazo. Where have we heard that before? Then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up. It's the same word. It means a violent snatching away. That's how we're to approach the lost. Let me help you. Let me drag you if I have to out of there. But we must be right. So concern for the lost. Let me give you one more thing and we'll be done. We're to take an inward look, we're to take an outward look, but we're to take an upward look. You say, how do I do this? How, how, how do I become what God, we're living in this day, there's no doubt in my mind, and we see, uh, you can turn on the TV this afternoon and see religious program after religious program, and you know they're not all teaching truth. We live in that day. And how do I keep my life right? And how, do I, how am I a benefit to others? How can I make a difference in other people's lives? Look at verse 24. Now unto him that is able. Not about you. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. We see, first of all, some reminders regarding God's ability. He's able to preserve you from falling. You say, oh, you don't understand how hard it is to live. Oh, it's so terrible to live in this world. You don't go to a secular job and you don't have, you're surrounded by Christians. I got Calvin, come on. You're surrounded by Christians all the time. Yeah, I understand. But it's not about Calvin trying to keep me right. It's not about Paul trying to keep me right. He is able to keep me. 
Sometimes we lose sight of that. I think we have, and it's not wrong, I think sometimes we say, well, I need an accountability partner. That's, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing that will help you in your life. I need somebody that's going to help me keep on track reading my Bible. I need somebody to keep on track doing this. Being, you're going to call me if I miss church, whatever. But listen, the greatest accountability partner is God. He is able to keep you. If you walk with him in a relationship with him, you'll want to be in church. You'll want to be at prayer meeting. You'll want to be at the fellowship. You'll want to be around other believers. He is able to preserve you from falling. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above all that you're able, but with, with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to present you faultless. 24, look what he says. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. There's only one way that can happen. That's through the blood of Christ. God, who sat in judgment and holiness and righteousness, found a way to present you faultless. Instead of just casting us aside and throwing us into a lake of fire, he sent his son Jesus. And by his blood, we can be washed and we can be, have that perfect spotless substitute take our place. We may find it difficult to live in a world filled with temptation and besides that, we are always led astray by wolves and sheep's clothing. But we need to understand it's not by our strength, it's by his we have the victory. It's by him. So we see some reminders regarding God's abilities, but let me give you some reminders regarding God's attributes. You say, really, is he big enough to do that? Look at that last verse. The Bible tells us he's able, but then it says, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Number one, he is all-knowing. He is the only wise God. You see, what is wisdom? It is applied knowledge. Not only does he know you, your ins and your outs, the Bible says he knoweth my reins. He knoweth you when you're in your mother's belly. He knows every hair on your head and it's numbered. He knows everything. But not only that, he's our wise God. He knows to take that knowledge and how to apply it in our lives so we can be more like him. He is all-knowing. Notice, secondly, he is the authority. He's the authority, the only wise God, our Savior. Be glory and majesty and dominion. Glory and majesty and dominion. These are all titles that speak of his authority. He sits on a throne. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is almighty God. Don't, don't ever forget, you say, well, I just don't know if I can make it. God says you can. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to take the next step. God is there to strengthen you and to help you and to, to guide you. He says you can do this. He's not going to let you be tempted above what you're able. He is all-powerful. Glory, majesty, dominion, and power. He said, when does that run out? Both now and ever. Never runs out. He's almighty God. Listen, do you know him today? As children of God, we are to grow, but we're also to reach out. We're to help people. I don't want to go to a church that can't help. Because one day I'm going to need it. I have needed it. I've needed people to pray for me. 
I've needed people to weep with me. I've, I've, had, I've had funerals in my family right here in this church. I've needed to know people were praying. We need one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. I don't want to be in a church that everybody's just coming to play church. We should be growing. We should be praying in the Holy Ghost because then we can truly have compassion and we can be reaching the lost and telling them about a Savior that loves them. They say, can we really do that? He's able to keep you. He's able to make all grace shine unto you. He's able to present you faultless. He is our wise God, our Savior, and unto him be glory, majesty, and dominion, and power forever. That's who he is. Let's bow our heads this morning. Let's stand to our feet. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come to this altar? Maybe there's one here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior. The music spoke highly of our Savior today, as it always should. Man of sorrows, what a name. Maybe you need to know him. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We'd like to help you with that today. I'm not talking about making a decision to pray a prayer making some decision that I'm going to try to do this or do that. I'm saying, when we talk about I have decided, I've decided to follow Jesus, to, to make him the savior of my life by trusting him and allowing him to transform me completely, to come into my heart and life. It's a complete and total surrender. Do you know him like that? Do you have enough faith today to believe that he died for your sins and paid the price? That you don't have to bear the burden of your sin any longer, that you can trust him and be saved. We want to help you today. Is there one? Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. Are you absolutely sure you're saved? Have you worked out your salvation with fear and trembling? Let me help you. Let somebody pray with you. Slip up your hand this morning and just say, Pastor, would you pray? I'm not sure I'm saved. Is there one? Maybe there's others that would commit today and say, I, I don't know about a resolution, but I, I want to come to the Lord and I want to make a commitment to him that I'm going to grow this year. I'm going to apply myself to reading and understanding the Bible and allowing it to work in my life. The word of God is quick and powerful. I'm going to pray, not just pray, but pray in the Holy Ghost, allowing him to search my heart, be filled with his spirit and presence and submit to him in my prayer time. Prayer shouldn't all be all about you. You know that, right? (laughs) Lord, I want this. I need this. Can I have this? Asking is part of prayer. Prayer is about him praising him, submitting to him, giving him glory and thanks. 
I believe as you grow and get full of God, you'll want to reach out and help others. Having compassion, reaching to the lost. Some are praying, we'll give them some time.